Well, if you're grateful to be in the house of the Lord this morning, would you shout amen? Amen. Let's put our hands together and say praise to the Lord today. Amen. Good looking crew here in the house uh, this morning where I am at the corner of Nine Mile and Guiding. We welcome each and every one of you. Special welcome to those of you that are guests today. So happy to have you. Pray that you'll complete one of them there registration cards uh, that are in the pew racks in front of you, assuming, of course, they are there. And if not, there'll be some information back in the Next Step Center. We surely hope you come back, and we're grateful to have you here this morning as we're grateful to welcome those who are at Spanish Trail today. Good to be with all of y'all. Last week, I was over preaching live, which I only do about once every couple of months or so, although this year, I hadn't been over there since February. And so I was told in no uncertain terms from some of my friends over there, you better get your tail over here. And so I did. And what a wonderful, sweet spirit we had uh, there last Sunday. The room was full and had such a wonderful time of praise and worship and a great time in the Word. And we pray everybody's doing wonderfully and great this morning. And to those of you that are worshiping with us, wherever you may be online or on our YouTube or Facebook channel, We're so happy to welcome you this morning, and we are praying for you. We hope the day will come soon and very soon for those that are in our greater Pensacola community where you can be back at one of our two campuses, Uh, but we recognize that these are still strange and perilous days, and uh, we're thankful we didn't get hit by another storm with all those um, piles of debris. They would have been heat-seeking missiles everywhere. I think it's good for us to stop and pray this morning before I preach. We want to pray for our brothers. and I never want to pray disaster on antibody. And we've got brothers and sisters who got, you know, slammed with a double whammy. Could have been us. May one day be us. And so let's just pause for a moment wherever we are here or wherever you may be and ask the Lord to be a blessing to them. And then can we also pray for our country at the same time? Man, we're in the final stretch of a political season. And our, our nation just needs prayer. Would you not agree with that? So let's just, for just a second, Father, we come before you this morning just thanking you that we're alive. It's good to be alive, and it's good to know why we're alive, and it's good to know what's going to happen when we're no longer alive on this earth. And it's that knowledge that gives us hope <clears throat> in a fallen and broken and corrupted world We pray for our brothers and sisters living in the wake of of, uh, storm damage and disaster this morning, and we just pray a special blessing of the Spirit of God. We pray that many people would come to faith in Christ uh, through even a time of disaster, and we pray that they will come to realize, as we need to continue to realize, that this world is not our home. May moments like these, and even political seasons like these, remind us that there is a better day and a better place coming. And we live for that day and we long for that place. But Lord, while we're here, help us to continue to make a difference for Jesus Christ, to live the Word of God, to live by the Spirit of God, to walk in the Spirit of God, so that we push back the darkness and carry as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. Father, now we pray that as we turn our attention to Your Word, that Your Spirit would guide us, And we might hear not words from a preacher so much as words from heaven. And we pray that your word will be implanted on our hearts, that it might change us, that we might live more enthusiastically for the Christ who has saved us. It's in his wonderful name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. 
Hey, listen, before I forget it, Chris and, and Bethany Prisbelovich are here in the room somewhere this morning. Guys, where are y'all? I know you're here. There they are. They're some of our missionaries to London, England, who've now returned home. Hillcresters all the way. And we welcome you guys back to Pensacola area, Florida. God bless you all. Love you. Great, great people. And we're excited to see what the Lord has for them uh, next. We are in a series on the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> Man, I love that song on the Apostles' Creed. We sang that song when I was on sabbatic leave in London last year when we were at All Souls Church in Langham Place. Great historic church, mostly traditional in their worship, but boy, they cranked that song up and I sang it together with my daughter who was with me, tears running down my face. And here we sang it this morning, reminding us that for these past several weeks, we have been in a series of messages, not so much on the Apostles' Creed, <clears throat> but on the tenets of our faith, the things from the Bible about the critical matters of essential faith that the Apostles' Creed reminds us. If you're new here this morning, uh, we don't have time to do a lot of backtracking, but a creed is just a confession of faith. It's a summary statement of the things that we consider most essential to us as matters of our, of our faith. And so it's a, it's a synopsis, it's a, it's a guidebook for Christian dummies, so to speak. And so as a result, we've been picking it apart line by line. Beginning last Sunday here, we moved on from the central section dealing with uh, God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Eric preached a magnificent, impossible one sermon message on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He preached 13 messages in 35 minutes. Uh, I gave him an impossible responsibility. That's the reason I ducked out of it. Amen. Uh, but thank God for him and for being able to do that. So we've looked at some of what we believe about God the Father and much of what we believe about God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a little bit about what we believe about God the Holy Spirit. And today we want to move on in the creed to the little line that simply says this, I believe in the holy universal church, the communion of saints. So today's message is, I believe in the Christian church. Now let me just say, this particular line has not been without some degree of controversy uh, through the years because many of the original English versions of the creed read what? I believe in the holy Catholic church. That's right. And as I'm sure you could imagine, most evangelicals would read that line as written in that way and determine I will never recite that creed ever again because if I believed in the Catholic church, I'd be worshiping in one. Isn't that right? But here's the thing. The creed does not, nor ever has it said, I believe in the Roman Catholic church. That's not what it says. It says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and in all those versions, the word Catholic is with a small c, not a capital C. Who can tell me this morning what the word Catholic means if you look it up in the dictionary? It means universal. That's right. I, because at the time it was written 1,800 years ago, there weren't any denominations. There was only one church around the globe as it existed at the time. And so it's quite uh, appropriate for even a bunch of Baptists together today and to say, we believe in the holy Catholic church as long as we're saying it with the proper understanding of what we're saying with the word Catholic. But to remove all controversy 
Uh, we've simply replaced the word with the definition, and I think that that's acceptable to everybody, and I believe that's actually a helpful thing. But even with that, saying the statement, we believe in the holy universal church, we still need to clarify just a little bit, because from the pages of the New Testament, we know that we not only believe in the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also believe in the local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word church is a word that simply means a gathering uh, or an assembly. The church, as you should surely know by now, is not a building, it's not a tent. The church is not a tabernacle. The church is the people of God, the people who have been saved by grace, people who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, people who are united in Christ. And that's why the creed also has the line that we believe in the communion of the saints. Every person in here who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a saint of God. The word saint means holy one, one made holy, not by their own deeds or by their own personality or by their own good works, but one who is made holy by the presence of Jesus Christ who lives and dwells within them by faith. This is what the church is, a group of born-again believers who have trusted Christ to save them. And we are biblically, without a doubt, a church in two dimensions. We are a universal church, a church worldwide, the invisible church, as it's sometimes called, the church without walls, the church without a building, the church without a gathering spot. The universal church is composed of all people from every generation without regard to race or color or geographical boundary who have trusted Jesus Christ to save them. And you become part of the universal church from the very moment that you're born again by faith. You don't join the universal church by visiting a local church. You don't join the universal church by filling out a card or by going to a new member class. You become part of the universal church through salvation in Jesus Christ. You are born again into the universal church. It is an involuntary action. Get saved and tag, you're it and you're in. Amen. This is the universal church. And you'll never meet 99.9% of your brothers and sisters in Christ who compose the universal church because they're scattered all over the globe and have been since the first century A.D., They've lived in the Middle East, they, they live continually in South Korea, in Russia, in China, all throughout Africa. These are the people of God, all of us connected by faith. I call it the Big C Church, the capital C Church, the universal family of God. That's one dimension of the biblical church. But more practically, the church is not all, uh, all but universal, it's also local. Hillcrest is a local church. A local church is a church that you can isolate on a map and put a, a, a pin in it. That one right there. That's the church that I connect with. Hillcrest is a local church. We are the local church on the map located at the corner geographically of Nine Mile Road uh, and Guidey Lane uh, and located at the corner of Summit Boulevard uh, and Spanish Trail. And again, I'm not going to meet 99.9% .9 of the believers that I'm related to by faith, but here's the thing. I do know some by name, 
And I am able to recognize some and I am able to hug some as I did this morning in violation of every social distancing rule. And I'm able to fist bump with people that I know by name who know the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm able to worship with them and I'm able to sing with them and I'm able to fellowship with them and eat fried chicken with them and I'm able to serve the Lord with them in my community. And this is why your membership in the universal church and expressing your faith in and through the local church is not an incidental matter. It is not optional biblically. It's absolutely a critical part of your life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Local church is critically important. And we live in an age where it's being dumbed down and marginalized and relegated to the sidelines, indeed made as something that's optional. But here's the thing, the local church is where the Word of God is preached. Word of God's not preached in the universal church, it's preached in local churches one by one by one by one all over the world. It's the local church that worships the Lord in song together, raising their voices together in spirit and in truth. It's the local church that helps believers identify their spiritual gifts where those gifts are discovered by God's people, then used for the glory of God. It's the local church that's charged with the work of the Great Commission to go and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the local church that does the work of evangelism and the work of discipleship and the work of disaster relief and the work of service in its local community. It's the local church that baptizes new believers and experiences the Lord's Supper together. Let me say this morning, in an age of skepticism and church neglect, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We believe. in the holy church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in the church both in its universal and in its local expression. And what a wonderful church that we have at Hillcrest. I've been visiting with several people this morning as we have through the weeks and months behind us. What a boring year it's been (laughs) this year. Listen, (laughs) we've been through and we are still plodding through the, the most difficult ministry year in, in my life, in my adult ministry. And maybe in the history of our church, many of you have been around Hillcrest even longer than I have, but I, I would imagine you'd, you'd be hard pressed to say, no, 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 this particular year was a whole lot harder than, than 2020. We have, of course, had to navigate through a pandemic that practically forced us to close our doors physically for several months, though we never closed the doors virtually. And I'm thankful for the technology that's helped keep us together during this time. We've seen riots and protests uh, in ways that we haven't seen since the late 1960s. We were smacked uh, three weeks ago with a direct hit hurricane, left behind millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. We're in the midst of a very peaceful presidential election right now. I'm just saying, if this is the best that America can do, people, we're in trouble. I mean, we're just in trouble. Greatest nation on the planet, it's the best we can do. I, I, I watched that debate. I watched about 20 minutes of it. 
And, you know, within 10 minutes, it turned into a fifth grade food fight. And about the time I turned it on, the students had pretty much set fire to the school. And it was just tragic. And we need to pray for our country. Uh, Because no matter what happens, I mean, we just, this nation needs Jesus. Neither one of those guys are the answer to our problems. I can assure you of that. Only Jesus can turn us around in the United States. Though I do think that there's a, a proper course of action that the people of God need to take. And we need to be involved. We'll have more to say about that in the, the coming weeks and months. And we're going to pray like we've never prayed before. But what a challenging year it's had. So much more. And yet our people have remained faithful. Great looking crew here this morning. Probably many more watching online. Ministry continued all through that time where we could do it. Sometimes we couldn't do it, but where we could, we did. And many of y'all continued to tune in when all we could do was online worship. You've continued to give, and we do have some revenue challenges, but the Lord has taken good care of us, and we're not spending our budget at a great rate, so we're in good shape because our people are all in. We are still participating, by the way, in one of the most unbelievable disaster relief efforts I've ever seen in my life. Organized from right here at Nine Mile and and Guidey for the most part. And let me just say it again, because of all of that, I love the Lord and I love my church. And if this is your first time at Hillcrest today or you reasonably new here, we want you to come to love our church just like we love our church. But this morning, we need to realize that not everybody loves the church like we love the church. Somewhere along the line, lots of people in what used to be an almost universally church country generations and generations ago, people have convinced themselves that they don't need the church anymore. They can get just as much spiritual value from a long bike ride on a Sunday morning or kayaking down a river stream or a day on the lake or taking a trip to the mountains or whatever. There are lots of reasons that people have gotten turned off to the church, some of which I completely understand. Maybe they've had a bad experience in a local church. Maybe they got their spirit wounded. Maybe something happened that just totally sent their spirit topsy-turvy. Maybe they got disillusioned with politics in the church. Maybe they weren't properly discipled from day one. Maybe they weren't mentored or properly spiritually changed. People leave churches for a lot of reasons. And sometimes those reasons are legit. There is a time to leave a local church. But you don't leave a local church not to go back to a local church. You don't leave the church to wash your hands. You leave a church because it's quit preaching the Bible or because it's lessened the personhood of Jesus Christ or because it doesn't believe some of what we're believing and expressing as illustrated in the Apostles' Creed. There are times theologically to leave the church. Most of the time though, when people leave local churches, the reasons are piddly. Many times it's even based on misinformation or an assumption that's not always even true. But what a tragedy when people convince themselves the church is not necessary or that it's irrelevant, or that they can be just as spiritual and honor God just as well isolated from the church as they can 
when they're connected to the church. That's a lie, and you need to know it. I suppose there's always been some of that attitude toward the church all throughout its 2,000-year history. The first century church had to grapple with folks leaving the church then and threatening to leave the church, usually for different reasons, usually because they were getting persecuted for their faith. In America, we oftentimes talk about getting persecuted for their faith, but it isn't anything like the persecution that was happening in the first and the second and the third century until the time of Constantine. I mean, they were legit getting persecuted. And many of them were saying, I just don't know that this is worth it. That's the primary proving ground for the reality of your faith. When your life is on the line because of what you believe. I'd say most of us in here, except some who may have served on foreign mission fields, your life has never been on the line because of what you believe. But there have been some whose lives were on the line. And the reality is, in the time of the writing of the New Testament, that was happening. Look at what the writer says in Hebrews, beginning in chapter 10. This is a familiar statement, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, with a capital D in my English translation, meaning judgment day or the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the more as you see the day coming near. Now, let me just ask you, do you all believe that Jesus is coming again? Well, the Bible is very clear. For those who believe Jesus is coming again, that really should be a motivating factor that not only drives you to the throne of God, but that drives you into communion with other believers. Let us see how we can stir one another up and encourage one another to love and good deeds and all the more as we contemplate and consider that Jesus is coming again and that he's coming at a day and an hour that we do not know. Two one another phrases there, used twice, stir one another up and encourage one another. Can I just say this morning, something deep and theologically profound. To do that, to stir up one another to love and good deeds and to encourage one another, you gotta get together with one another. How are you gonna do that? How are you gonna obey the Lord if you refuse to get together with the people of God? You can't do any of those one another's. That'd be a great sermon series. We'll do that one day, the one another's of the Bible. Because there's 10 or 12 of them in there. And the, the, the thing that binds them together is they're all for the people of God, and you can't do any of them if you live in isolation apart from one another. Nowhere in the Bible do you have even a remote hint that you have an option of doing life in Christ all by yourself. The Bible doesn't even encourage you to take it casually, even if you do meet together. It's a serious thing. One of the most familiar Psalms is Psalm 122.1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I shouldn't have to tell you, Jesus went to church. Only they called it synagogue during his day. But the church and the synagogue, the words mean the same thing, a gathering, an assembly. And the Bible says, associating with the synagogue, with the assembly of his Jewish brethren, was the custom of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That meant it's something that he did regularly. He made a practice of doing it. And he was the son of God for crying out loud. If Jesus needed to be with the people of God, I think that the rest of us would stand to, to be a part of the family as well. The book of Acts, you have the early believers consistently doing life together. In fact, the Bible says for them, it wasn't just a Sunday in the middle of the week thing. They met together how often? Say it out loud. Daily. That's right. Prayed together daily. Met in the temple courts daily. They praised. They ate together. They listened to the teaching of the apostolic doctrine together. And even at the end of the Bible, you get to the future scenes of things that are to come in the book of Revelation. Here's the thing, if you don't like gathering together with a small group, relatively speaking, of the people of God on the Lord's day, you're probably not going to like heaven very much. Let's just be honest. Because those beautiful worship scenes that take place, those behind the curtain peaks that were given to the Apostle John were peaks that involved innumerable numbers of people that he couldn't even count. Multitudes, the Bible says, from every tongue and every tribe and every nation gathering together before the throne and before the Lamb to sing praises and to worship Him. So let me just say, all that's my introduction to today's message. <laughs> and all of that simply to say that the church is not incidental and the church is not optional. And if you choose to distance yourself from the body of Christ, you're living in disobedience and you need to know it because there are some important blessings that can only come when God's people connect with one another. I could give you a dozen this morning, but aren't you thankful I'm not? I'm only going to give you two because our time is fleeting. These are two of what I think are uh, some of the most important reasons why uh, being a part of the local church, certainly being a part of the universal church because heaven and hell is on the line <laughs> there. But as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, why you need the church and why the church needs you. And the first thing that I would simply say is that church commitment demonstrates love in two dimensions. When you connect with the body of Christ, you demonstrate first that you love God because you value as important what God values as important. And then secondly, it demonstrates that you genuinely love God's people. When Jesus was asked one time what the greatest command, uh, commandment of all was, you remember what he said, right? The great commandment. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, in a sense, you know, for the most part, if you're looking for a summary statement of what the law and the prophets basically are trying to communicate, you'd be hard-pressed to find something better than that. That's kind of a summary of the Old, Old, Old Testament just in a couple of, of phrases. Loving God is critical. Nothing's more important than that. And loving God always means loving what God loves. So if you love God, you're going to love what God loves and you're going to hate what God hates. And that would certainly include the church, the loving part, not the hating part. God loves the church, and because of that, you and I should love it too. The Bible teaches this intimate connection between Christ and His church. I'm not talking about between us and the church, though there is a connection there because we are the church. But there is this incredible connection between Christ, God the Son, 
and his church. For example, the Bible teaches that Christ established the church. That's Matthew 16. Jesus tells Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build what? My church. It's not my church, not the pastor's church, not the deacon's church, not the administrative committee's church. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. It's his church. He established the church. The Bible teaches Christ died for the church. That's in the great passage that we often associate between husbands and and wives. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, cleansing her with the washing with water through the word. And then we're taught, husbands, love your wives in that same sacrificial way, and that you're willing to lay it all on the line because of your great love for her. Christ loved the church, and Christ died for the church. The Bible teaches in Colossians 1 that Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. And then, of course, the Bible teaches that Christ is coming again for the church. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, where the Scripture, not only 1 Thessalonians 4, but John chapter 14, Christ told his disciples, I'm going to go, but if I go, I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So here's the thing. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And you don't want to reject the bride of Christ because that's not going to get you very far with God. Because there's this intricate connection between Christ and his church. But not only does faithfulness to the church demonstrate your love for God, it demonstrates that you genuinely love God's people. How are you going to say you love God's people if you don't want to have anything to do with them? Let me let that sink in for a minute. You can't say you love God's people. I'm going to do, we just do church in our house. Well, you should just, you should do church in your house. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about the assembly of the brothers and sisters in Christ. No, you can't. you got to love God's people. Again, you want to love what God loves. And when you become a Christian through faith in Christ, not only are you united with Christ, but you're united with all of God's people. We become a family. God saves us into a family. The Bible uses the word adoption. God adopts us. It's a family concept. He adopts us and brings us into his eternal family. And all of us here who know Christ by faith are indwelled by the same Jesus who indwells every other believer. Believer. That's why the Bible says we are all what? One in Christ Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that our love for one another is a direct test of the genuineness of our salvation. Now, this is, this is where we're going to plow close to the corn this morning. 1 John three fourteen. we know that we have passed out of death eternal death, into life, eternal life, because what? We love the brothers. Now, loving Christian people is not the way that we become saved. That's a matter of faith in Christ alone. But loving other believers is a genuine test of the authenticity of our salvation. In other words, if Christ is in you, you're going to love what the Lord loves, And you're going to love his people, even when you don't always agree with them. You're going to be able to strive with them and serve with them and worship with them and 
grow with them. Why? Because we love one another. And this is critically important, particularly in this day and time in which we live, where there's so much venom and so much hatred. We talk about this a lot. Social media foments the full expression of exactly what I think. You know, when I was cutting my teeth in ministry, you had to talk about politics in the hallway of the church or drinking coffee in McDonald's or at the Wagon Wheel Diner. You know what I'm saying? You didn't do it all online. And when you do it face-to-face, face-to-face conversations are kind of a governor, right? Because there are certain things you just won't say when you're having a face-to-face conversation with somebody. There's a regulator to your spirit when you do that. That's a very healthy thing. Man, you get behind a computer though. You know, it's like a a 90-pound weakling that gets behind the wheel of a Chevy Suburban and somebody cuts him off and he would never get out of the car to confront that person, but that guy will lay on the horn because there's safety in the Suburban, right? Well, there's safety in your study or in your kitchen table when you get behind a computer and we just say whatever we think and everybody else comes right back at you saying whatever they think. And before long, the lost world is watching that stuff saying, ain't no love down there. I get that where I work every day. I don't need to give up a Sunday to walk into that maelstrom. No, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So when you're generally say, uh, gen, uh, genuinely saved, there's going to be an urging to draw closer to God, and there'll be something of a longing to get to know God's people and to be with God's people. Why? Because if you're like me, you kind of want to be with the people that you love. Isn't that right? I love my kids. I'm more excited when they show up at home than just about anything else. Long to be with my kids. Why? Because I love them. Long to spend time with my wife. Why? Because I love her. And if you don't want to be with God's people, it's kind of stretching it to say that you love God's people. And if you don't love God's people, it's kind of a stretch to say that you love God. I'm just saying. I mean, I get it. You don't know the kind of experiences I've had in church. Oh, yes, I do. Lots of unhealthy churches out there. I'm convinced that there are more healthy churches, though, than there are unhealthy churches. Get out of the unhealthy church, find you a healthy one, because they're there. Not perfect. Ain't no perfect church. They don't exist because we're this side of heaven, and we're broken, and we're fallible. We make mistakes. We don't always get it right, and we're the first to admit it. But here's what you have to remember. You don't evaluate and you don't stereotype every church because you had a bad experience with one church. That's not right. You don't do that with doctors. You just find another doctor or another auto mechanic. Oh, but I'm never taking my car to a mechanic again. I'm just going to walk. No, you're not. So find a a church where you can connect with God in worship and connect with others in fellowship and connect to the larger community and even to the world in service because doing that demonstrates that you love what God loves. Everybody with me? Amen. 
And then a second thing I would remind you as we land the plane this morning is that a church community is critical for two things, accountability and growth. Accountability and growth. And see, something's going to happen when you make a decision to remove yourself from a church family because at some point, spiritual erosion is inevitably going to set into your life. That's part of the reason I think that the writer of Hebrews wrote what he did in Hebrews 10. Let us not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of of doing. Because in his day, and again, it was all because of persecution. It was tough following Jesus. But there were many, obviously, that had gotten into the habit of neglecting the gatherings of the church. And because of that, they'd fallen into spiritual disrepair. They were going back to old habits. Old habits personally, old habits spiritually. And these, the writer knew, the anonymous writer of the Hebrews knew, these were the people that were in danger of kind of falling away. And without question, one way to combat that spiritual decline is by making sure that you're faithfully involved in your local church. Now, just, you know, going to church is not going to make anybody grow automatically, but it sure will help. And the reason why is because the church is kind of God's accountability instrument. I mean, we need one another, and the reason that we need one another is that there's very little accountability when you're flying solo. And so going to church kind of helps build in accountability. I mean, you want people to kind of keep you in check, your habits, even some of your beliefs. It's why being in a small group is important. I mean, you come to the big church, and pastor's teaching you, and you don't get to stand up and say, yeah, but, because we have security, and they'll like take you out. But you go to a small group, and you get to talk in there. And that's where iron sharpens iron, right? And I think it's a good thing to go in there and say, well, you know, this is what I believe, and that could be the craziest thing in the world. But when you have a crazy belief that kind of is not unbiblical, it actually is a very good thing for somebody to say, well, here's another way to look at that. And maybe bring you back to where you need to be. See, all of us need that. I need that kind of accountability in my life. I mean, I know you'll find it hard to believe, but the pastor is not infallible at Hillcrest. That's why you're encouraged to come with an open Bible in your lap. You know what my accountability is? This book right here. Right here. And we in the Baptist tradition, Baptist tradition, tradition, encourage people to come open your Bible and check what the preacher is saying against the eternal word of the living God. This is my accountability right here. And this is why God has designed the church like he has, built in accountability. You come to a Bible preaching Christ-centered church and you get the word of God preached before you. You get to praise and worship the Lord in ways that you can never replicate on your car radio. I mean, you come to church and there's opportunities to pray together. You're surrounded by a support group that loves you and cares for you, longs for God to do His best work in you and through you. No, church is the family of God. And here's the thing I know about families. Families are meant to grow and thrive together. Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
He rages against all wise judgment. The late Christian writer Henry Nouwen said one time, I have yet to meet anyone who has come closer to Jesus by forsaking the church, and neither have I. That's just another way of saying you'll never become much of a Christian if you try to do the Christian life all by yourself. One thing I know is that we all need Jesus and we all need the family of God. I tell you, as I think of some of the significant spiritual encounters of my life, most of the major significant times where I have heard God clearly speak to me, and this is the honest truth, as I stand before the Lord, most of the major times where God has done a transformational thing in my life, a major redirection of my life, provided wisdom and insight, the major times where God has spoken to me most clearly have not been when I've been out on a rock overlooking a body of water. They have come when I've been in the context of worship in the family of God. I was saved as part of the family of God. I was called to ministry as part of, a, of the family of God. I met my wife and learned about Christian marriage and what it meant to be a husband and a father and a leader in the context of the family of God. The major events of my life where God has showed up most dramatically and most impactfully have been within the context of the worship of the family of God. And when I think of what would have happened had I shirked the church or neglected the church or relegated the church to sideline status, I would have missed the most spiritual and significant encounters of my life and probably would have made a mess of my life as a result of it. Now, having spent all this time talking about the importance of the church, let me make another statement. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Because I want to be especially clear here. As important as it is, the church is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. The church never saved anybody. The church is an instrument God uses to save people, but the church in and of itself doesn't save anybody. And if you join this church or any other church thinking, this is the way that I'm going to get God to accept me, then you need to wake up and understand that that's not the way to have a relationship with God. Only Jesus can save your life. Only Jesus can transform a broken life. So if you're here this morning or watching this morning and you're empty or you're hungry for spiritual things that you can't find in yourself or you can't find on your own, the presence of Jesus in your life is the only thing that can fill the emptiness. The presence of Jesus is the only thing that can clear away the confusion. The presence of Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy the deepest hunger and longing of your life. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst again. But the blessing of receiving Jesus is that not only do you find life, at the same time you find family. And my prayer for everyone today is that if you can't already, you'll soon be able to say, I am so glad 
that Jesus saved my life. And I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. This is God's Word. And let all who agree say amen this morning.